0: Strawberry has his first major league base hit. Left center field, out of here! Daryl Strawberry's first major league home run. Oh, high in the air, to right, fast to the wall. It's gone. Home run number 38, and that is an all-time Mets record. There goes Strawberry. Not in time, and he's done it. A member of the 30-30 club. That ball may have hit the lights up there. It may have hit the top of the stadium. I can't believe it. And it is gone. A grand slam for Daryl Strawberry!
1: You know, I have a bunch of stuff. Got the homes, got the cars, but have no peace, have no joy. I was very sick and, and my drinking and my drugging and, and had to play the next day and get up there and, and hit home runs. And how did you take your life back? Well, through Jesus Christ. Uh, You're 14 years sober now, is that right? Yes. I'm a overcomer by the blood of the Lamb. Nothing great about me, so... <laughs>
0: Well, it is good to have you here, here in Bellingham. Those of you joining us at our Skagit campus, glad that you're with us. Those at Trinity Church of God in Boca Raton, and those of you online, thanks for being here today. I'm very excited for you to be here today because we have a, a very special guest. Some of you are very familiar with this person. Some of you have never heard of him, like my mom, uh, who this week called me and said, Are you having that Joe Peaches guy this week? And I said, It's Daryl Strawberry. So uh, just to kind of, for some of you moms out there, or others uh, that may uh, not know all the details, let me give you a couple of stats. Rookie of the year, 83, uh, 10 times 20 home runs in a year, uh, three times 30 home runs, eight grand slams, 335 career home runs. Eight times he was on the all-star team, four times uh, won a a World Series, and so many other, other stats that we could go on to, 17 years in the MLB. Now uh, he speaks all across the world really and in some of the largest churches in the United States. And today he has chosen to be here in Bellingham to join us, yeah, and in Skagit uh, to be a part of this. So I'm wondering if today you could get here and in Skagit online, you could get the hugest welcome to Daryl Strawberry as he comes here. It is, it is so good to have you here. Good to have you here back in the Northwest. Welcome yeah. to the Northwest again. Uh, you are here in the Northwest uh, between your junior and senior year in high school. Played a baseball tournament in Seattle.
1: Yeah, we got a chance to play here, um, myself and Eric Davis, and it was pretty cool. You know, and I, I remember coming here and they were saying, well, this ballpark, nobody really hits home runs. And I said, we said, OK, you know, and we went to the ballpark and looked at it, it was very small compared to the ballparks we played in, and we hit seven the first night.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a good initiation. Good. Not only that, but but um, you actually had the chance to play for the Mariners. In fact, I brought this old school uniform, thinking maybe you'd put this on. Uh, <laughs> it looks
1: had, a little bit too small well, you know? well we can cut the sleeves off and show a little <laughs> midriff
0: that'll be good um you had the chance to play for the mariners
1: i did I, when i became a free agent um they contacted me and said you know we have some pretty good young players and uh, would you think about it and consider coming here i was in negotiations with the dodgers and um the guy, Roger, who was part of, the, part of the team, he drafted me when I was with the Mets, and he was with the Mariners. Uh, the only problem I think they had, the only problem was they played in the Kingdome. You know, it was just AstroTurf, and I really didn't want to, you know, play the next rest of my career in, on AstroTurf. It was so bad, you know, so. But I didn't realize that they would be getting a new stadium and everything, but he had talked to me about that, and he wanted me to fly up here and meet, uh, meet the owners and talk to them, but I really never got a chance to do that, and I ended up signing in L.A. Yeah, so
0: that was in the era of, of uh, Junior. And uh, A-Rod. Uh, the big unit, A. Rod, um, uh, Martinez. I'm just thinking, if you would have played, we probably would have won a World Series. <laughs> well, not just uh, because I, we're, I'm single-handedly holding uh, yeah. you responsible <laughs> for the fact that the Mariners are them and the Nationals are the only two teams that have never been in the World Series. I mean, we suck. Not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, well, they came pretty close. They had some pretty good runs there, you know, with the teams they had and. You know, getting getting in the playoffs, you just have to be a different player. You have to have a different mindset. Uh, It's not like the regular season. It's a short, you know, it's a short series and you have to uh, make the best out of it. And and I, I think a lot of times guys get into playoff seasons and. And they start to panic a little bit, try to do too much. And I was one of those guys, I always I always said, pitchers are stupid. They're they going to always steal a fastball and leave it up somewhere, and yeah. you just hit it out the ballpark. And-
0: yeah. well, that's easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I always say. <laughs> just hit it out of the ballpark. Yeah, good. Hey, um, Daryl and I have been able to spend some time together, and we have a lot in common. We both played uh, varsity uh, baseball our freshman year in high school. Yeah. Uh, for, diff-
1: <laughs>
0: for different reasons. Uh, he was a phenom, our school was small, they only had eight guys that wanted to play, and they recruited me, so, uh, <laughs> that was, the other that was thing is that cool. we both played right field. Well, what was wrong for, for with that? For different reasons. Why well, you they thought they put me in right field because no one hit there? <laughs> that's why. They'll no, put Marvel out there, we won't get any errors with him.
1: So. What well, they always say that about right field, but that's not that's not true. You get a lot of. Know what?
0: In my level, it was. It was.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. No, no one. No
1: one could. They no was care. just protecting you. That's all. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another thing we have in common is we both had a little short uh, a short stint in our life as rappers.
1: Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Daryl produced about a, a rap album or a song called Chocolate Strawberry. Right. Yeah. And uh,
1: my so, name is Daryl. You yeah. can call me D. You can call me D. Can <laughs> I call you D? You can call me D. All
0: right, D. <laughs> All right, so and I thought you know, we you know, maybe we could kind of re resurrect that. I could beat box for you.
1: You can yeah. beatbox. box. For me. <laughs> my name
0: is Daryl. You can call me D. You
1: can call me, call me, call me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, DJ D. There you go. We're That's earning. a pretty good combination, you know? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. my mom would buy the album. Will she? Yeah. <laughs> will, she know, will she know us from Daryl? Huh? Will she know us from Daryl Strawberry, yeah, and not Daryl Peaches? Joe Peaches. <laughs> it,
0: it's so, uh, Daryl, you were on the cover of Sports Illustrated uh, seven or eight different times. I've uh, got some pictures of that. Um, I, I never was. That's where we don't have that in common. <laughs> ESPN did a, a 30 for 30 uh, called Doc and Daryl uh, about you and, and Doc Gooden. Um, baseball cards. Some of you are here today with your baseball cards. This one came out of a Raisin brand box. This wasn't, this wasn't Tops, this wasn't Don Russ. This was Raisin Brand. That's pretty cool. That is cool. It doesn't even have the team No, no, no. They, did, they probably didn't have the, uh, the rights to that. So <laughs> no, that's what like, I'm saying. Just a blue
1: hat. <laughs>
0: just a blue yeah, hat. that's a card.
1: Know? That's a card I'd never picked up. That was out. the
0: uh, Make Baseball Great Again hat yeah. before all <laughs> that happened. Yeah. So uh, we got online and found uh, that this card is worth 50 cents now.
1: Yeah. Oh. Uh, but... If you sign it, probably worth a little bit more, right? There you go. Yeah. So
0: you can help me out with that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, I'll, I'll, I'll think
0: about okay, it. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll, I'll give you a cut of it. So uh, what you may not know is you were on a on a uh, an episode of The Simpsons. I was. That's. That was many, pretty cool. How many people can put that on their resume?
1: I know, and everywhere I go, you know. Uh, if I go do autographs sometime, you know, people remind me. You know, they come with these pictures. You know, for me and me being on The Simpsons, they go, "This is pretty cool. This is really a history uh, um, that people watch forever." And I didn't realize that. I mean, you don't realize that when you're doing it at yeah. the time. We did that back in the '80s, yeah. and um, it was pretty cool doing that. Yeah. And it's still running. That show is still running yeah. today. So Homer at the bat.
0: Homer at the bat. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. Hey, um, let's let's talk some baseball. Baseball was not your number one sport in high school. It really wasn't. I mean, I I like
1: basketball. I played basketball because my uh, coaches really brought discipline in basketball. And and if you had any kind of infractions, they would make you run all day, suicides. So I kind of like that, you know, uh, that discipline. I needed that discipline in Mm -hmm. uh, sports. And I think we all need that discipline in our lives too, you know, to be able to, because one day you're going to fall back and you're going to remember that, how to be disciplined in your areas in your life. And if you're not, you know that's what basketball did for me. Uh, if, if you're not disciplined, then you can never get to the place where you need to get to in life. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times we just think you know sports you know is is really just a great outlet for you, you know, for for you to go out there and, you know, be energized and just become a different person. But at the same time, you need that discipline when you're yeah. playing sports. Too. Well,
0: there's a couple guys, uh, John Mosley and uh, Brooks Hurst, Coach yes. Hurst, that really instilled that in you and, and to a certain degree shaped you and formed you as a young man because, of, and we'll talk about your dad later, but but they were kind of this, almost a father figure, very influential in your life. Yeah, they, yeah, they were. Coaches, have, coaches and teachers will
1: have the greatest influence on young people's lives, yeah. no matter how you look at it. I mean, the parents are the parents, but coaches and teachers, they spend more time training your kid and developing your kid in such a way that you could never imagine. And um, that's what they do. The coaches did in my life. Uh, Mr. Mosley was that coach. Uh, Brooks Hurst was our coach. We were all uh, African American school, and he was a white coach. And he brought tremendous discipline to all of us. Um, you know, we ended up playing a lot of big games. We ended up because we were fundamentally sound. He, ta- he taught us the fundamentals of playing baseball, and we became a great team. in 1979 and 1980, we even ended up playing at Dodger Stadium those two years yeah. in my high school year.
0: Yeah. So at the, uh, in that, that, that season, your senior year of high school, you get drafted. I read a statistic that of all the, all the guys that play high school baseball, 0.5% get drafted. So that's like five out of 1,000 guys that play high school baseball. Of those, of those that do get drafted and to make it through the farm leagues to the bigs, that's only 9.8% of those, what have you. You're what, 18, 19 years old, you're not only a first round draft, choice you are the first pick of the first round which if you don't know what that means is of all the young players that are available in the entire world you come up number
1: one yeah i was the first pick in the draft 1980.
0: yeah Um, but uh, but there was a a wrestling match because you're you're drafted number one but you also had a scholarship to to oklahoma state I did.
1: I had a scholarship to go play basketball and baseball at Oklahoma State. And I had to make a choice what I was going to do. And, and I really wanted to play baseball because I really loved that one-on-one competition. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think that was, uh, that made me feel uh, good about myself to be able to go, you know, one-on-one instead of going, you know, basketball was a little bit, you know, you got to play more team sports. But, uh, you know, when you're facing a guy and he, who's, who's on the mound, you know, who's, who I know is dumb, you know, so... I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Are, ARE ALL PITCHERS DUMB? OH, MY GOD, THEY ARE SO DUMB. they JUST LIKE... <laughs> <laughs> HEY, SOME OF THEM ARE REALLY GOOD, BUT uh, YOU'RE GOING TO FACE THE GOOD ONES. THE GOOD ONES ARE GOING TO GIVE YOU A BATTLE. Uh, BUT THE MAJORITY OF THEM, YOU KNOW, THEY JUST GOT THE BALL IN THEIR HAND. THEY THINK THEY COULD, YOU KNOW, THEY THINK THEY CAN WHEEL AND DEAL. and THEY THINK THEY CAN THROW IT BY US. IT'S LIKE, THIS GUY IS SO DUMB. HE'S SO STUPID. HE JUST
0: yeah. don't, <laughs> DON'T HAVE A CLUE. <laughs> YEAH. ALL RIGHT, SO, so you, YOU GET DRAFTED by the, BY THE MATCH. YOU GO THROUGH THEIR FARM SYSTEM. Uh, THREE YEARS later. Um, May 6, nineteen eighty-three. Uh, you come up to the Bigs. First major league game is that in Shea Stadium? You guys are Shea playing. Stadium. Yeah, you guys are playing um, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, yeah. and you're up against Mariota Soto. He strikes you out three times that night. He walks you once or whatever. It's a long game, thirteen innings. But at the end of the game, you have a batting average of point zero zero zero. Which is something else you and I have not <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, that, that was, was my lifetime batting
1: average. Yeah, that was just the beginning, though. Yeah, yeah. One so, at-bat, you yeah. know, well, I a mean, couple at-bats, you know. So,
0: so but, but was there some doubt in your mind? I mean, here's your first, and there's great expectations on you. Here's this number one draft choice, he's finally coming up to the bigs, and you come out of that first, season. I mean, well, there's
1: always doubts, you know, with inside of yourself, you know, getting to the big leagues. That was my dream when I was a kid. Fourteen years old, I, I knew I was going to the big leagues. I, I made it up in my mind. Um, and. You know, coming to the big leagues at at such a young age, 21, I thought I should have been in big leagues at the beginning of spring training, and I I wasn't that year. And I had to go down to the minor leagues. I spent about a month and a half down there. And then I I got called up. And when I came up, you know, I was facing Mario Soto. You know, he was one of the uh, top elite pitchers at that time. And and he punched me out three times, you know. And I tipped my hat to him, but he never got me after that. You know, I I made sure that, you know, because you learn your lessons behind that. Uh, You got to have a... you gotta have a tape recorder in your mind to remember you know what happens and when you're playing sports and and that's why you become great at it when you can when you can do that you can develop that inside so you know that first test was that first test, but I had to move forward from there. And and when, once I started moving forward, um, I started off real real rough at the beginning of that rookie year. Just like life, sometimes we may start off rough, but you finish strong. I started off real rough at the beginning of that year, but I went on to win rookie of the year because I, as I got comfortable, I started to
0: believe in myself. Yeah. Well, you know, before, before and I, I was kind of giving you a bad time about striking out and not having a batting average. I want to read, <laughs> uh, I want to read for you, because some of you aren't aware of this what goes into trying to hit a 95-mile-an-hour uh, fastball, all right? This is, uh, this is science. From the release of the pitcher's hand, you know, 60 and a half feet from the mound, uh, to the time, a 95-mile-an-hour uh, fastball, the time it reaches the plate is around 425 to 450 milliseconds. That's, we're talking about less than a half a second. Now, on the other side, it takes 150 milliseconds on average for a Major League uh, Baseball player to get the bat around. So we're talking about tens of milliseconds here in terms of the middle, where decision-making cells receive their input from the eye by way of the brain's visual cortex. It takes at least 43 milliseconds for information about the velocity and trajectory of the baseball to be sent from the retina to the higher visual cortex. And what happens during the actual decision is a neurological mystery. But then when it happens during the entire middle part of the pitch, the batter must must time the ball and decide not only if he should swing, but where to swing. He must start when the ball is approximately 25 to 30 feet in front of the plate. That'll arrive now in 250 milliseconds later, about the limit of human reaction time. The bat must make contact with the ball within an even smaller time range. A few milliseconds error in timing will result in a foul ball. Position is important too. Hitting the ball only a few millimeters too high or too low results in a fly ball or a grounder. Hey,
1: I, I would just tell you, if you're playing baseball, don't think.
0: Yeah. I mean, you read that and you wonder how does anybody ever hit the ball, and you hit 335 uh, home runs. Well, ones. because
1: you don't think about it. You know, it, it, it's it's your hand and eye coordination. You know, you don't think about uh, what what's going on. You get there, and you see the ball, and you hit the ball. I mean, too many people uh, start to over-exam the game you know it's just still the same you know the fundamentals of baseball has always been the same and will never change and if you stay in the fundamentals of baseball uh that's how you become great you stay in the fundamentals of whatever sport whatever you're doing in life it's fundamentals that you have to stay in and i think we get outside of that and we want to try all these other things i mean if i wanted to try all these other things to think about this and think about that before i got into the batter's box i've already had a plan before i ever got in the batter's box yeah my plan was on the own deck circle. I could win the ball game from the own deck circle. You got to have a plan before you get there. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, because when you get there, now you start to think too much. See, I've already had a plan. I've already had a plan before I got into the Dallas box. I look, I look at the situation. I know that pitchers are stupid. I know that they're going to they're gonna do something real stupid, you know, because they always think they can get a ball by you. And, and, and that's it. Shazam. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. Now, you said that, that you guys you said you can you can see the laces on the ball. Yeah, you can see coming.
1: the thread. You can see the thread. You can see the spin. You know, you could tell when it's a breaking ball. You can tell when it's a fastball. You can tell when it's a ball in and out because of the way the catcher moves. You know, if the catcher moves, if he sets up and moves inside his fastball, fastball in, I got it. I'll take care of it for you don't worry about it. It's you know? <laughs> <laughs> just the way the game is. You learn that. You, you learn You learn how to play. You learn not to think, you know, I think. We try to teach kids to think too much. Don't think, you know, just play. You know, you got natural talent. You're on the field playing. If you, if you play, your ability is going to come out and you, it's, it's going to shine. And you, we, like I said, we over-exaggerate. You know, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do that. But you don't. You just really have to pay attention and, and, and get in there and believe in yourself.
0: Yeah. Okay, so 335 home runs, uh, eight grand slams. Uh, in two games, you hit three home runs. What I find interesting <laughs> is they're both in Chicago against both teams, the Cubs and then 11 years later, or White Sox, I don't know which order it was. Cubs um, first. Cubs first. Uh, great, eight grand slams, three in a, in a game, twice, uh, your first one. Uh, of all the home runs, is there any that that are like that stick out to you?
1: Yeah, it was that one in 1985 uh, against the Cardinals, and Ken Daly. He hung me a breaking ball, and I hit it off the clock in St. Louis and broke the clock because we didn't <laughs> we didn't like the Cardinals you know we, we, we were the Mets and, and they were the Cardinals we, we couldn't stand you know Tommy Hurd and you know Ozzy doing his backflips and you know I wanted to flip him when I split <laughs> at the second base you know? <laughs> but that's just the way it was that's the way baseball was at that time you know because and, yeah. and, we wanted to win and we knew that we had to go through the Cardinals and the Cardinals knew that they had to come through us and
0: don't you live in St. Louis now? I do oh, okay.
1: yeah I do <laughs> they I, let I, you back in? they let me back in <laughs> yeah, they there. but they're, they're a lot nicer so they just say, well, I we really didn't like you when you played with the Mets, you know, because you guys were a bunch of pawn scums, you know. Yeah. So, but they let me back in, you know, now, because you know, they, they see that you know my life is not about baseball anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Is the clock fixed?
1: Yeah, they got a new stadium. <laughs> okay, <good.
0: laughs> um, Well, is there, is there any pitcher that you dreaded, you feared, you didn't like to go? Uh, yeah, Nolan Ryan. I hated
1: facing Nolan Ryan. You know, Nolan Ryan was a big old country boy, and he was really mean. He looked different. His demeanor was different. Um, he didn't play. If you didn't get in a box, he, he would throw one right under your chin or at your head or something like that, and he didn't play. <laughs> he just let you know. So, I mean, he had this demeanor where he would walk around the mound, and he was just like, okay then he'd get on the mound he'd be like he'd look at you like don't dig in you know and he was dead serious you know about you don't dig in you better get in the box you know and and so i mean
0: i always my heart used to always beat every time i faced nolan ryan yeah i bet so one more one more question so uh you played with doc Gooden, and uh you guys were back-to-back uh rookies of the year and 85 was no doubt his best season i mean he was pitching like out of his mind 87 statistically is your best hitting year. If, hypothetically, we could put Doc Gooden from 1985 pitching on the mound, dumb as he is yeah. as a pitcher, <laughs> and Daryl Strawberry from 87 hitting like crazy in the biter's box, who, who wins that
1: one? I mean, we would have a battle. There's no question about it. Um, Doc was, I just can't describe that year, you know, playing behind him, what it was like, you know, showing up to the ballpark and, you know, 40,000 people coming, you know, wherever we was to see him pitch. And he just dominated major league hitters, you know. Yeah. I mean, he was just 20, you know, that year. He was 19 the year, first year, but he was 20 in that 85 year. And he's just eating up major league players that's been in the big leagues for a very long time. I remember guys used to come to the ballpark, they take batting practice, Doc's pitching, all of a sudden they're excited doing batting practice, all of a sudden. They scratched out of the line of what happened. Oh, my neck got stiff, you know, doing body practice. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to take these three punch outs today, yeah, you know? Yeah. So I mean, that would have been a great challenge to be able to face him at such a young age. Um, he, was, he, was, he was a dominating pitcher at such a young age.
0: Yeah. Well, it's an amazing 17-year uh, career for you. Um, man, four World Series, championships, eight all- All-Stars. Um, you know, that, that song, We Are the Champions by Queen, says you give me fame and fortune and everything that goes with it. Everything that goes with it is not all wonderful. And, and in your book, uh, Straw, you, I mean, you talked about some of the, the dark side, the, the the dark underbelly of the fame and the fortune. And uh, in fact, and, and one of the things I was so amazed in this book is how honest you were about your own uh, shortfalls and, and failures and mistakes and such. But in this, uh, you write this this quote, And it says this, take a young man fresh out of high school, still living at home, still a wide-eyed innocent, and toss him into the big leagues, hand him a few hundred thousand dollars, or these days a few million, or with Mike Trout, Yeah, 430 million, Okay. tell him he's a superstar, Uh, surround him with cameras and reporters, push him in front of thousands and thousands of fans, offer him more free booze, drugs, and sex than he's ever dreamed of, and... Then tell him to grow up, be a man, be focused and disciplined, in control of his emotions, a team player, a role model for millions of kids. And then, if he struggles, if he fails, if he screws up, condemn him, scream at him, laugh at him, and spit on him. That's the everything that goes with it. That that's not that's not sounding pretty.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a whole big, it's a whole package that come with that. You know, because uh, you're supposed to be great, you're supposed to excel. You're young. We pay you. Uh, develop you uh, now, come to the big leagues and and do these great things and, and they don't really we we don't really know people we don't really know what happens to people in real life you know not just being baseball players you know people are, are scarred and broken and, and hurting on the inside we don't know that part of a person's life we just assume that a person should be well uh, because uh, they put on a uniform yeah. a uniform doesn't make you well you know money doesn't make you well I think we've gotten that all wrong in our society and we you know. That's what we want our kids to be. We want to drive our kids to you know excel and have all these great things. and you know I, I would never want my kids. My dream for my kids was never to, never to make it to professional sports like I did, because it's, it's all a lie. You get consumed with it, and, it and, and then when they're done with you, they're done with you. You, you put on the uniform, you play for them, you excel. You, uh, but they never get to know who you are they don't really care who you are you know all they really care is about what can you do for me at the end of the day and and that's really what it all boils down to so a lot of people don't know where where people come from and their struggles and and what's wrong with them and and that's what it was for my life I had issues before I ever put on a uniform right
0: in in, in an interview that I I watched with you you made this statement that I thought was pretty profound my pain led me to my greatness and my greatness led me to my destructive behavior
1: yes well my Pain led me to my greatness. Pain will lead you to greatness, and anything that you want to do. If you're in pain, you see so many that are in pain that leads them into greatness. And, and but if I never get healed on the inside you know my destructive behavior is going to come out it's just the way it is it, it, it's in it's, it's a society that's built that way it's going to come out especially for people that are famous that's why when you look at famous people and you say what's wrong with them they have everything why they're not happy because you, happiness c- comes from only on the inside and it doesn't come from material things it doesn't come from stuff it comes from Jesus when you meet Jesus Christ and I think so many of them never meet Jesus, you know, and I've had the opportunity to meet Jesus and I had the opportunity to be redeemed and restored on the inside. And that's, that's what we really hope for is, is to be healed on the inside. And I, I tried all these things. I've been frivolous my whole life. I had lived behind community gates, had millions of dollars, had homes, had cars, had whatever I wanted, but I never had peace. I was never at peace in my life. And, and I think a lot of times we search and think that all these earthly things are going to make us well, but they're really not. The Bible says heaven and earth are pass away but not my word heaven and earth will pass away all these things will pass away this means nothing and, and and most of us miss it because we never picked up the bible that's that's where i was i never picked up the bible i had every earthly thing but i had no peace with all the earthly things yeah
0: maybe you should preach about that sometime <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. right yeah hey uh speaking of speaking of god's word. Uh, and Mark says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Uh, you have kind of your own version of that when, when you said all the fame, all the success, all the money in the world don't add up to a thing if you're hurting in your soul. Some of this goes back to your childhood with your dad. Yeah, that was the rejection of my father. You see, my father didn't,
1: my father came home for the last time at the age of 14, pulled out a shotgun said he was going to kill the whole family. He was alcoholic, drunk. So me and my brothers went into action, and we came close to killing my father that night. Had it not been for my mother getting, getting us out the house, we would have killed him. Mm-hmm. See, it could have been a tragedy in my life before I ever put a uniform on. Most people don't need. I was scarred before I ever put the uniform on. and, and brokenness is so real. you know we, we're living in, 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 back then, for me, we're living in a society today where brokenness is all over with our young people and they all You know, getting addicted to opiates and heroin and losing their life. Brokenness is real. Lawlessness brings about brokenness. It leaves broken children and it leads them out there where the enemy can he can have his way with them. And that's what it was with me. That's what the enemy does. Jesus said it in John 10, 10. He said, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and may have it more abundantly. We think abundant life is stuff and and and, and fame and fortune, but it's not. Abundant life is peace, joy, wisdom, knowledge. You get so much greater stuff from God, you know, if you understand the Bible. If we can get back to training our young people up uh, into the Word of God, they will never have to face all these, all these trials and tribulations like some of them. That's why I had to face so many trials and tribulations because the Bible talks about it. It says my people perish because of lack of knowledge. There's no understanding of God's word. That's why we're perishing because we're consumed with all these earthly things and we want these things to make us feel well. This stuff never makes you feel well. It will never complete you. The only thing that completes you is having a personal relationship with Jesus and understanding who Jesus is and understanding Jesus going to the cross. When he hung on that cross, that blood on that cross, That blood is clean. That blood purifies you, washes you, liberates you, redeems you, brings you to wholeness, righteousness that you could never get from anywhere else. We're searching in all the wrong places and thinking, well, if I had just had a little bit more of this. No, if you had more of the Biblical principles in your life, you would live an abundant life that Jesus is talking about that we live. We get to live an abundant life and the abundant life is not stuff, you know, we need to get past that abundant life is the joy of God Himself. Right on. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But the enemy is a deceiver and it has always been. And we believe those lies, and those lies leave it, lead us to a, a destruction. Um, not not the next quote, but the one after. Go, go two quotes next. There we go. This is your own description of believing lies and out of your brokenness following after that. Picture a man falling down a long, long flight of steps. Bang, crash, boom, bang. He falls and falls, head over heels. He keeps crashing down those steps, down and down and down, until finally he lands at the very bottom, cut, bruised, broken. His head is swimming. He lies there flat on his back. That's me from 1994 to the 2000s, falling, falling, and finally bottoming out. I mean, it it was in all kinds of arenas. I mean, relationally, divorces and law issues and and prison time and drugs and addiction and sex addictions. I mean, there was just a ton of stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, because, you know, Pastor, I, I was living a lie. I was living a lie separated from God. You know, I was living a lie in sin, and that kept me separated from God. And I just kept going on and on and on, you know, and and I I just, I got to a point, I just, just was asked to just, God, just let me die, you know, please, just, let it be over. You know, I mean, I ended up in addiction for a long time. You know, addiction is real. I ended up uh, shooting dope and, and smoking crack for years, and, and I ended up with cancer twice and losing my left kidney in my second surgery. So if you've never seen a miracle, you're looking at one, one today, because right on. God is a miracle maker. He, he makes from a mess to a miracle. That's what He does. Um, the mess of our life, and He turns it into the miracle of who He is when we decide to commit, you know, when we decide to give our heart and give our life, you know. I, I, you know what? I just got tired of being a hypocrite. I didn't want to be a hypocrite no more. I didn't want to straddle the fence, oh, I know Jesus, but I didn't really know Jesus, you know, and, that, and that, that's what happens, you know. If you can stay in, you can stay in the pit or either get out of the pit, but you can't get out of the pit by yourself, the pit of life. You know, the only one who gets you out of the pit of life, uh, out of the pit is Christ himself, because God found me in a, a pit and brought me to a pulpit. And I'm not even qualified. You know, I preach the gospel now all over the world today, and I'm not even qualified to preach it. And when he called me, I was like, you got the wrong guy. Don't you know I'm a mess? He says, that's just what I like, a mess for my messes, you know? And, I, and, and when he called me, I didn't want to answer the call. He called me nine years ago to start preaching. And I was telling him, you got the wrong guy. I says, I'm not qualified. He says, no one is qualified. I qualified the call. Right. That's right. Yeah. Because I'm God. Yeah. And he does. I mean, he. Could, He's so cool. He, he completely does it when you surrender yourself. You got to surrender yourself for real. I mean, I had, that's what I said. I not want to be a hypocrite no more, just straddle on the fence and, and saying, Jesus, and I know his name, but I deny his power. His power is greater than his name. And, and, and we, we just got to get to a place as people where we, we're not like the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, when they didn't know him when he was hanging on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? But his last words on that cross were it is finished. He completed it. Mm-hmm. He went to the tomb early Sunday morning. Three days later, he rose up from the tomb. Right on.
0: And, yeah. That, well, I was just going to say, when he says it is finished, it's the finished work of Christ on the cross. He's not finished. He's just getting started. He, he, yeah, go ahead. Pastor said, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Say it, brother. Well, well because, because we but, celebrated that last weekend, the resurrection of Jesus, that it wasn't just 2,000 years ago. It's our reality today. And we, we ended with this verse last week. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is finished, but it is starting, and it's not just for Daryl Strawberry. It wasn't just 16 years ago. It wasn't just 12 years ago. It's this morning. It's His mercies are new every morning. It's a new life and a living hope. Every day, every day, every day
1: you wake up. You know, you got you you wake up. I wake up. It's the joy of the Lord that's my strength. There's nothing great about me. It's it's the joy of the Lord that I wake up every day. I wake up to Him every day to talk to Him, to worship Him, and you know, and, and, and getting a relationship with Him to understand who He is, and because He gives you that peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding. It is not worldly peace. It's, it's, it's kingdom minded said. He gives you all these great things that you can never imagine. And, and just like you said, it is finished. Yeah, it, it was finished at the cross. He finished everything. Everything that could kill you, Jesus already killed it because he was just starting. Like you said, it was the beginning of the work that he was going to do for all of us so that we can come to this place and we can live this, this life here with with peace, you know, with peace inside of ourselves, You know, and the confusion, we, we get consumed with all these other things. We let all these other things confuse us instead of listening to the, what, what the Bible is trying to teach us.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that, that I think is a part of your message from, from hearing your message, from reading your book, is that you want to give people hope in Jesus because there's a lot of people that feel hopeless and you've had some pretty hopeless situations in your life. Uh, one more quote from your book. You said, God had a purpose for me and he gave me a lot of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, but God didn't give up on me. I truly believe he doesn't give up on any of us. We just give up on ourselves. And I think there might even be people here or at Skagit or watching online today that are feeling hopeless, feeling like they've given up on themselves.
1: Yeah, and we do. We we do give up on ourselves and you got to stop, you know, giving up on yourself. Don't quit. That's my whole message that I travel across America. Don't, don't quit. You know, uh, Jesus, the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive and well. You know, he's just waiting to do the miracle inside of your life. There's three things that Jesus is here to do. You know, you have to understand that. Jesus is here to rescue you from your sinful ways. You know, he's here to redeem you with his blood. And he's here to restore you with his grace. Yeah. And he says, My grace is sufficient for you. It's made perfect in your weakness. His grace is made perfect in our weakness. What, whatever whatever hurts you got, whatever it, whatever hang up, church, I had a lot of them. But I've been delivered. I'm an overcomer. I'm not a victim. I'm an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb, what Christ has already done, you know? If you understand the Bible and you understand, you know, the the Word of God, then then you'll come to that place and you'll have victory over this situation in your life, no matter what it is. There's nothing too hard for God, you know? I, absolutely, God's so funny, he's got such a great sense of humor. I ended up in a Florida State Prison with a T17169, I ended up, like I said, with cancer twice and losing my left hand. God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Everybody else was laughing but God had a great plan because mm-hmm. God always has a great plan God never makes mistakes he'll never leave you nor forsake you he'll never make mistakes he's already know what he's doing with people's lives it's just up to us especially a man a man needs to get rid of his ego see I had to get rid of my ego my ego of society kept me believing that I'm all that in a bag of chips <laughs> see that's what your ego ego is a three-letter word easing God out an ego God needs to crush your ego when you look to the Bible everybody that God picked in the Bible They wasn't not perfect You know Moses had a speech impediment David was a womanizer Jonah was told to go to Nineveh the priest of gospel he jumps on the boat the other way go to Tarsus Ignores God God throws him in the belly with fists three days three nights. God's got a great sense of humor <laughs> 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 Then he comes out Jonah comes out of the belly with fists and he goes to Nineveh and tells him to repent the whole city gets saved because of one man obeying God. See, God just needs us to be able to come to that place where we can obey him and we can say, yes, I'll do it. See, that's what happened to me. I finally said yes. And wasn't, I, I didn't do it alone. You know, you think about the Israelites, you know, they could have been in the Promised Land had they listened to Moses in 11 days. But they complained so much, God sent them in the wilderness for another 40 years. God will leave you stuck right where you're at. But if you're willing to listen, you can be in the Promised Land, you can be in a land that you don't even know about. You can be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You get to eat from a land that you don't even know about. God's going to always do the same thing. The church is amazing. People just don't participate. See me and my wife participated because my wife, God used her to lead me back to the cross. God always going to use people to help people. He used my wife. Sixteen years ago, she was pulling me out of dope houses. I was shooting dope, smoking crack. She was banging on doors, kicking them down, coming pulling me out. She wasn't even my wife at that time, but she pulled me out and she said, God's got a plan for you. I said, why don't you and that God just leave me here and let me die? She said, you're just not that lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, what am, what, what am I saying? I'm saying to so many of you here today, you're just not that lucky. God loves you. God is crazy about his people. That's right. All we have to do is come back and give him a heart. He do God don't need money. He don't need fame. Jesus is the most famous person I ever met. He got up from that tomb. You ain't gonna never meet nobody that's gonna get up from a tomb. He's the only one. That's the most famous person i ever met. Everybody else is going to die. All of us, gonna, everything going to pass. So we just have to get to a place where we're not consumed with so, so much of this earthly stuff, social media and all these things. All that is lies, you know, this and that. Hey, read that book. I'm telling you, I don't know what took me so long. I, I sleep with that book now when I'm on the road. That's how good it is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So many of us need to get to a place where we taste and see how good God is. You know, why keep eating that Burger King when you can eat steak?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Hey, uh, <laughs> D- Daryl, let me uh, uh, just want to kind of keep an eye on our time. I want to I have you share about your dad. Um, you, you talked about the pain mm-hmm. that he inflicted on your life, and actually when, he, when you were 14, he basically went out of your life. T- tell us that story.
1: Yeah, it was a rejection. Never came around my life until I became important. He saw me start playing baseball in high school, and he called my brother and he said, is he is, you, is he really that good?" My brother said, yeah, you gotta come see him. So he eventually came and saw me up on the hill and watched me play. Then he saw all these scouts, major league scouts at my game. And then he finally came down and he saw me play and, and he saw that I was pretty good and everything. And he tried to develop a re- relationship with me, but I never developed a relationship with him. You know, I hated him because he beat me and said I'd never amount to nothing. And um, then five years ago, you know, I was going to do a men's conference out in California and the Lord just came all over me and he says, Okay, my father was in the hospital down in San Diego and the Lord came over and he says, I oh, want you to go see your father Sunday. This was Friday night. He said, I'm go see your father, your father Sunday in the hospital after you preach at the man's conference. And I said, you got to be kidding me. And he says, no, I'm not kidding. He was all over me. I was, and I called my wife and I said, pray God is all over me by going to see my father. And my father said that that night I was laying there, he was just challenging me. He says, how dare, how dare you not forgive him and I forgave you. And I called Tracy, and she prayed for me. And when Sunday came, I went down there. And he said, go down, this, go down to the hospital, and he said, repent to your father, and ask him to forgive you. Ask him to forgive you. Yes. He says, don't say anything about what he did. He says, how can, how can you not, two wrongs don't make a right, you know, but he was like, go down there and ask him to forgive you, and repent to him for keeping him out of your life. And I did. I asked my father, I said, when I got there, I said, you know, the Lord has changed my life, but, uh, would you forgive me? He said, yes, I just... I just lost it. I just, I cried. I laid it in his lap and I just cried. I, I cried so hard and I said, God, please, please forgive me, you know, because I was wrong. And God said, raise up. Then in that moment, God said, raise me up. And as he raised me up, he says, now lead him in a sin of prayer and lead him to me. There was a man that beat me and reject me. I was leading to the Lord. I said, would you accept the Lord? And would you ask God, you know, for your forgiveness? And he was like, yes, he was laying in the hospital. And tears were coming out of his eyes, tears coming out. Here I am, leading him to the Lord. And then God says, Don't you ever forget, it's never about you. And he said, the forgiveness was not for your father, the forgiveness was for me. That's why I was broken for so long. Because I wouldn't forgive. And I got set free immediately, and, I, and he, go, he goes on to pass, you know, like three, four months after that, after I'm, I'm leading to the Lord. So we just need to know, it's, we think it's about us all the time, and, yeah. and it's really not, not about us, it's about God's plan and, and God's will that he has for our life. And, and we must always forget that, and never forget that. And we must always pray for others, you know. I think that's so important. Yeah.
0: You know, Daryl, so much of, of what the media what people know about you is really it, it, it's about numbers here's your stats here i mean i did it today here's your stats or here's the the uh the amount of money you got in this contract all these numbers or even when you play for the Mets, your number you know your number 18 when you play for the dodgers number 44 it's a number when you play for for the yankees it's 39 you, these numbers the florida department of corrections has uh t1 169 i got that number down yeah. So, uh, but it's all about these numbers, but Daryl Strawberry is not a number. You're not a statistic, good or bad. You're not a, a baseball, you're a child of God. Yeah. That's your identity. That's our identity. That's the identity we can have. We try to put these numbers, we try to rack up our numbers. She yeah. said, there's one number, it is you. Number We're, one, I love you. That's right. You know, we, we do We try to rack up
1: these numbers and these worldly status and, and they mean nothing at the end of the day, because when you die, you know, they're going to talk about you for a week and then they're going to talk about you no more. <laughs> It'll be over. You know, that's just the way it is. I've seen them do it with everybody. You know, when Carter died and Tony Gwynn died, and they talked about him for a week, and then it, you don't hear him talk about it to you anymore. So, um, you're just a number here. But in, but, but in God's eyes, you're not a number. You know, you're a child. You know, He loves you. He He, he wants you to have this wonderful life uh, of doing great kingdom work here. You know, we miss it. So many of us miss it, doing the kingdom work. Because Matthew six thirty three talks about it. it. says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then all these things will be added into you. He's talking about the great kingdom work that we get to do here among each other. We get to love each other. We get to help each other. We get to bring those that are hurting, those that are lost, those that are in the pit somewhere. We get to go back and get them and pull them out of the pit and says, Jesus, 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 Jesus loves you. Mm. No one's a mistake to Jesus. We all make mistakes. We all fall short, but no one's a mistake to Jesus. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he went for the lost and the sinners. He's hanging out with them. The Pharisees and scribes are always pointing at him. What is he doing with them? Because he wanted them well. That's who he wants. He wants those who believe that they're not well and that nobody wants them. And he goes,
0: come here, I want you, I love you. Yeah, yeah. Back to the, the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, just statistically, there are people here that are dealing with some of the stuff you've gone through maybe addictions or some pains from childhood, uh, divorces, relational issues, financial issues, um, addiction issues, um, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. And they may feel hopeless. Now, I'm just wondering if you'd be willing to pray. Uh, AND MAYBE SOME STILL ra- TRYING TO RACK UP THOSE NUMBERS and, FOR THEM TO FIND IDENTITY IN CHRIST. WOULD YOU BE WILLING TO PRAY uh, for, for, FOR US THIS MORNING um, AND JUST sure. FOR THAT HOPE THAT WE HAVE IN CHRIST? SURE.
1: YEAH. yeah. IT DOESN'T MATTER what you, WHERE YOUR LIFE IS AND WHAT YOU'VE DONE, GOD IS NOT MAD. GOD IS NEVER MAD. BUT SEE, WE GOT TO GET TO THE PLACE AS A CHURCH AND AS A BODY OF CHRIST, WE GOT TO GET TO THE PLACE WHERE WE TRUST GOD. It's so important to understand. We we trust all these other things. We trust TV, stock market, and this and that. But we will not trust the Bible. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. God's got a perfect plan for all of us. No matter what you've been through, no matter who's hurt you, God wants to restore you. Let Him restore you. Some of you need to go back and forgive somebody. Some of you need to change and turn from those wicked ways, worldly ways. Some of you need to come to the cross, some of you need to commit to church, some of you need to get involved in small groups and everything so you can grow and you can develop and you can be discipled. That's what this is about. Don't miss it. See I almost missed it because the society was telling me I was great. They were lying to me. There's only one great one and his name is Jesus. And he meets you right where you're at. So challenge yourself. Am I really in this plan or I'm just showing up every day? Or oh, I'm a Christian, but I really don't follow the biblical principles. See, I used to be like that. But today it's about the biblical principles. First John 4:4 says, greater that he that's in me than he that's in the world. It's a great one that lives inside of me, Christ himself. Galatians 2:20 talks about it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. It is Christ who wants to live in you. Let him be Lord over your life. He is great. He's the great I am. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We honor you, praise you. Father, we thank you for the hearts of your people. Father, they have heard your word, heard you speak, Father, and those that are struggling, have some kind of issues, worldly issues that just keeps them in bondage. Father, we ask that you break the bondage over them right now. Father, give them strength to be able to stand up and say, you know what? I need help. I want to be free, and nobody can free me but Jesus. Father, those that are here that don't think you are who you are. Let let their hearts be ministered to throughout the day so they can know and that they can come back home and have a personal relationship with you. We don't need a relationship with each other. We need a relationship with you first so we can have a relationship with others, Father. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. Father, we ask that you would take this petition right now and we seal it in your wonderful son's name, Jesus Christ, and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you guys. Hey, Darryl. Thank you,
0: brother. Thanks, All right. Well, let's thank Daryl. Let's thank him.